thousand meters! Crank it up! I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is the show where Mike and I watch movies separately and we don't rehearse as we talk about them together for the first time on the show. This week, we're going to do a movie called The Beast of War, also known as The Beast, uh, a 1988 film directed by Kevin Reynolds with a screenplay by William uh, Master Simone, which we'll talk about in a second. Real interesting story about this movie. But we want to say that this was a request. We got an email at our email address, 15minutefilm at gmail.com. From someone named Nick, we don't know this guy, but he just said, you guys have got to see this movie. He said, it's the best movie you've never seen. Mike and I had never seen it. Nick said in the email, you've never even heard of it. Mike, had you ever heard of this? No, absolutely not. Never, right? So Nick's like, you guys have to watch this. He gave us links to, to uh, articles about it and, and the backstory. And so Nick, this one's for you. We both really enjoyed it. And remember, if you have a request, you can uh, re- email us at 15minutefilm at gmail.com or on Twitter at 15minfilm. So uh, in part one, we always talk about our overall takes of the film. I'm going to talk about some things that Nick, our, our loyal listener, turned, told us about this film. But Mike, why don't you start? Like, What was one of your overall things about this movie? Here's for me, uh, I'll, I'm going to steal an extra bonus moment. But here's for me, like the indicative thing about this movie. So right when the tank first rolls into that first Afghani town um, and the women come out screaming uh, and, and wailing and they attack the tank, um, and they're they're all gassed to death. And it's, mm-hmm. it's unbelievably, it's gruesome and poignant. It's deeply morally ambiguous. This movie does not tell you whose side to be on because you could watch any movie where the villagers charge out at you and you're afraid. You could watch any movie where the tank rolls over your village. Um, and, and, right, and this movie is very much morally a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Even the title, we can talk about the title yeah. later. Beast of War or The Beast is referring to that tank. You said something about it, it being a stage play, and that made yeah. total sense to me, right? Like production value-wise. The whole story of how this movie got made is really incredible. So the Russians invade Afghanistan on Christmas Eve, 1979. They want to install their own communist leader in that regime there. The Mujahideen fight back against the Russians. It, it becomes what people call, you know, Russia's Vietnam. 15,000 Soviet soldiers get killed. Um, the last ones leave in 1989. About 2 million Afghans got killed. So the playwright, William uh, Master Simone, he's from New Jersey, went to Rutgers. Um, he reads about this and he drew a picture. And this is a fascinating to read. There's a, there's a website called War is Boring. And they did a long interview with him. He said that he drew a picture of a tank surrounded by stick figures of, of people throwing spears at the tank. And he thinks that would be the good centerpiece for a play. So get this. He gets himself smuggled into Afghanistan 
1981. He says, I want to go to Afghanistan and see what it's like. So he's got to, like, this itself would be an unbelievable movie. He had this whole adventure. He's got to get okay by the warlords. Eventually, he's left to die from exhaustion, you know, out in the wilderness of Afghanistan. A kid finds him, picks him up, brings him back to the village. Um, He gets healed. They give him soup. He comes back. He writes his play about it. Kevin Reynolds, the director, finds out about it, says, you know, this would be a really good movie, gets him to write the screenplay. They make the movie. Columbia Pictures has a change in management, and they decide they're going to go with a different Afghanistan movie, which is Rambo 3. So they release The Beast for a week in two theaters, and that's it. And, and the movie the movie is just, is just shut down. Right. So that's, there's a whole crazy story behind it. And I actually went on, if you go on the, on the internet, you could see photos of the stage play. And there's like a little kind of like mock mechanical tank in there. And there's maps on the walls to show you where you are. So, so it, it's crazy that when you watch it, I thought to myself, how in the world could this be a play? But in the play, the women that you mentioned are all like kind of a chorus commenting on the actions that's going on. So that, I thought that was a really, really interesting story. I found the movie very affecting. Yeah. And so did Roger Avery. Now, if you know who Roger Avery is, and this is what I think is interesting. So Nick, our our recommender, Nick, said that he wrote a message to Roger Avery, who's written a lot of stuff with Quentin Tarantino on Instagram. He says, I wrote him a message saying, you know, um, you recommended this movie at one point and uh, and and I really liked it, too. And he said Roger Avery wrote him back. And here's what he said to him on Instagram, quote, the beast of war is freaking fantastic. I saw the film with Quentin Tarantino in Westwood, California on the opening weekend and no one was there. We had the theater to ourselves. The owner said it was in the theater for one day just for awards qualification. Talk about suppressing a film for reasons of political agenda. Too intelligent for its own good. I find the film transcendental as well as a fantastic action film. Now I want to build on that because something that occurred to me before I read Nick's emails, because Nick said, don't read all these things before you see the movie. So I didn't. Here's what's interesting. This movie comes out in 88. Reservoir Dogs comes out in 92. And before I read Nick's emails, I thought to myself, this is very Tarantino-esque in certain ways. And it's very much like Reservoir Dogs. You know, it's about a bunch of guys under incredible pressure. One guy is suspected of being a rat, right? Samad, the whole thing with Samad being a rat. And then Mr. Orange is totally nuts. Yep, right. One guy's totally nuts, right? Um, The claustrophobia at Reservoir Dogs, it basically happens in one room. This is basically one tank, right? The cop gets tied to the chair. Jason Patrick gets tied to the rock. So I'm not accusing like those guys of plagiarism. I love Reservoir Dogs, but it's kind of interesting. Like that was definitely percolating in their brains when he wrote that movie. And I thought that was a really interesting thing from watching this. It has one thing that I really like, which is otherwise unlikable characters are allowed to make sense. And some people that you would normally root for do not. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the movie in part two when we talk about our favorite moments. All right, so welcome back to part two, where we talk about our favorite moments or moments we think are indicative of the film. Mike, what's yours? My moment is when Kaminsky is talking to the other guys on the tank crew who are a little bit younger than him, and he's describing what they used to do with him as a kid, that they used to lower him on ropes to drop grenades into Nazi tanks. And I I have to agree with you. I find that moment Tarantino-esque, right? It's, it's a long monologue. It's affecting. You're not necessarily sure where it's going. I think on paper, we do this a lot on the show, on paper, that monologue should be totally hyperbolic, but it only works because of the extreme pressure of the situation and the, w- and the way that it's delivered. Like, there, there's a little bit of Das Boat about this, uh, about this movie mm-hmm. um, that makes me like it. But I'll tell you one thing, which is that um, this is like, when I say this is the dirtiest movie I've ever seen, what I mean is that the commitment to like 
the commitment to sand and fatigue uh, and sweat is beyond what any other Hollywood movie would commit yes. to. And I think that that's what gives it maybe the quality um, that are that the viewers who like it so much like about it, because no other major Hollywood studios know that you can only make an audience so uncomfortable, like even physically uncomfortable before right. they will not be with you. So it's the guy's like face like sweating into the sand when he says yep. they used to call me tank boy, which is what stops that from being funny. And yeah. instead it becomes unbelievably affecting. Yeah. Just to clarify, Kaminsky's a different guy. You mean Descal, you mean George Zunza, the, the, the yeah. tank commander. Yeah, yeah. So um I agree with you that there that the movie crosses a line that regular Hollywood movies would not let you cross. And I think it crosses right in the beginning when when you're like, is he really gonna run him over with the tank? Is that is, is this really gonna happen in the movie? Is this really gonna happen in the like the opening scene? And then it does, and the movie only gets more and more disturbing as it goes on. Well, like the, the women we mentioned in part one, the women that get yeah. uh, gassed by the tank uh, come back and rip him apart, <laughs> yes. like literally limb from yeah. limb at the end of the movie and come back covered in blood and apologize. And so it's, it's again, it's morally ambiguous, it's gruesome, and it's uncomfortable. And once you're out of your comfort zone, a lot of things that would be hyperbolic in other movies become okay a lot of things that would become way too far in other movies become okay well let's talk about that because that's my moment too this this moral ambiguity and how you get out of your comfort zone so my moment is actually from a different movie i'm going to do a kind of a cross movie moment first time on the show we're doing this we've done like 150 of movies so far first time i'm picking a moment not from the not from the actual movie but um here's why seeing this reminded me of what it must have been like for the original audience in 1979 to see Apocalypse Now. When Apocalypse Now came out, it, it's hard to imagine what it was like to be the first audience for that. It must have been unbelievable. Like I was a kid and, and you were, you, I'm older than you. So to imagine what that was like, it's like imagining what it was like when Godfather 2 came out, like that first weekend and talking about it on that, you know, on Sunday afternoon, what it was like to see Godfather 2. So Apocalypse Now is so much a part of film history that it's it's almost not jarring to us anymore. Like like when you see the Ride of the Valkyrie scene, it's so disturbing and everything like that. But imagine seeing that for the first time on a big screen. It must have been mind-blowing, right? Um, so my moment is, first of all, watching this, I thought to myself, this must be a taste of what it was like to see Apocalypse Now for the first time. To, to be put in a place, you know, and Apocalypse Now gives you like no political context. You're just like dropped in this movie, like the Google Maps guy. And this thing is you're just dropped into this movie and here you are in Afghanistan and you're in this tank, go. And it's the same thing with Martin Sheen and Apocalypse Now. So my Apocalypse Now moment that I want to apply here is, you remember the beginning of the movie when all the, the brass, they, they get Martin Sheen there and they're sitting him down and Harrison Ford's there and they play him the tape of Marlon Brando and they're kind of giving the mission and they want him to go kill Brando, but they won't really say it. They just say like terminate with extreme prejudice and, and martin sheen kind of sees through them and um the general G, played by gd spradlin the guy that plays um the senator in godfather 2 he says you know willard out here you know um things get confused things get confused and that reminded me i thought of that line when i was watching this movie because this movie is like well what would it take for a guy to shoot an rpg in his own tank like out here, things get confused. And, and the movie writes itself into that spot where it kind of makes sense, where, where, where Constantine, played by Jason Patrick, looks at his wrists and he sees the rope marks. And he's like, yeah, I'll kaboom the tank. And, and I was like, what a great parallel between Apocalypse Now and this one, where you're put into this world where things get confused, you know, and get confused very, very quickly. In the beginning of the movie, remember, Constantine says, I think for myself, 
You know, I, he's the philosopher. I wear glasses. You know, I'm intelligent. I'm young. I've read books. But he gets into this place where he's not sure what's going on anymore, kind of like Willard does in Apocalypse Now. And that's what opens the the Tank Boy monologue, right? Yeah, right? because it, it's it's moral. It's even morally ambiguous from the point of view of your problem is you're thinking about what you're doing. You're just supposed to do it. Yeah, and right, and that, that's while you're rooting for the characters that you're seeing applaud through the desert and you want them to survive, that's not a philosophy you can get behind. And yeah. so you, you, you're forced to accept the unacceptable, which I, I think is, is where you're going to like, this movie is just relentless uh, in a, in a certain way. And, and I, I really like the hearkening back to apocalypse now, because if I tried to get somebody to watch this movie with me and they were like, I don't know who's in it. And I was like, uh, Stephen Baldwin, that's <laughs> yeah, not what you, right. that's not right. what you'd expect from a Stephen Baldwin movie. Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, that like, you know, that what we learn these, the terms in the film, like what is Baldar, you know, the revenge. And that's that, of course, applies to Constantine. Or giving giving your enemies quarter. Yeah. If they ask yeah. for it. Yeah. Right. Which is the original title of the play. The original title of the play that he wrote was um, Nana Watari, Nana Watai. And that's mm-hmm. what he learns a lesson, you know, which is what uh, which is what he finds himself being given when he's in the cave and they ask him to fix the RPG and fix up the gun and stuff. Uh, Mustafa speaks of honor. Surely the end of the world is at hand. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'll see you in part three. So welcome back in part three. We always talk about the title or the ending or things that stay with us. So there's a lot to say about the title. I think Mike, what's your take on it? Well, we, we alluded to it a little bit, which is that the, the whole moral ambiguity of the movie is set up by the title, right? Because it's, is it the villain, right? What, what, what is, what, what is, the, is beast? the beast? And so when he's, when he's standing there at the end with the RPG and it, right. In any other action movie, if you were making Rambo three, right. It's, it's fait accompli when you point the thing at right. it and you, you pull it right. You know, whose side you're on, you're on Rambo side. You want him to blow up the tank. Everything here is beautifully confused. Like it actually, the it's not even going to explode in the way that it's supposed yeah. to explode. You know what I mean? It doesn't, right? W- what happens in a Rambo movie when you shoot an, an RPG at a tank? It explodes in the most spectacular explosion and the most loud explosion in movies. Right. The, the thing that I like the most about this movie is not just how tense it is when he lines it up. It's that it's like, it explodes medium. Yeah. And it's, right? It just and knocks he, off the, it just knocks off the muzzle of, of the right. gun of the tank. That's perfect. If, if I had written this movie, I would have done a terrible thing and like, you know, it would have like doinked off of the tank or not. Right. You, right. you, you would, you would try to aim for some anti-climax. This aims for a non-satisfactory anti-climax, yeah. which is just, it's weird, but, but also beautiful, but the Ahab in the situation gets what he deserves. And so yeah. the, the movie, I feel like throws you a bone when the women come back all covered in, in blood. Um, but I really, I didn't really know where I was in this movie until he was, pointing the rpg at his own tank and and trying to blow it up um and but it wasn't working yeah and the movie i think does it i think the more i thought about it as the day went on after i finished watching it the more i thought about what a good job the film does to put you in the head that space of that guy who's pointing that rpg like what would it take for that to for him to do that it's very much like we're going to talk about every war movie we like. We've already yeah. talked about Dust Boat and Apocalypse right. Now. So I'm going to mention Brid- Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, a perfect. Right? That's a perfect one. That's very good. Go, go, go. I know what you're right. going to say. Go. Exactly. So um, it it get, it gives a great Alec Guinness moment. It's yeah. Like less, it's like a less formalized, a less structured Bridge yes. on the River Kwai. But it's more felt than it is structured. Right. Yes. Because 
you don't know how good this movie. Like I said, there's a lot of che- there's a, some cheesy elements about the movie. I did, that's part of it. The music is cheesy. The music really takes me out of it. The beautiful scene though of not giving the audience what they want when he's yeah. lining up the thing with the tank. Right. What, by the time you get to the end of Bridge on the River Kwai, you think he's gone out of his mind. Yeah, madness. He's gone out of his madness. Mind. But but not so in this movie. In this movie, yeah. you can kind of almost see it. And so you're pulling the trigger together and you're sh- you're really not sure what's supposed to happen. And then as an audience member that used to Hollywood movies, right, when it doesn't when it hurts the tank, but doesn't blow up the tank, you're like, I'm not even sure that was supposed to happen. So I, I have no idea how this movie's going to end. This movie just gives you nothing else uh, besides the death of I always forget this guy, Dascal, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 except his death. Yeah. And that's why it's so it's so it's so it's so unsatisfyingly satisfying when when then Constantine gets picked up by the, by the helicopter, he wraps himself in and they just lift him up and then he goes and, and then the credits come on. And then and, the credits and, roll. Yeah. And you're like, all right. And that, you know, it's almost like the credits should say, and that's what happened. Like like that's that's what happens. And it remind it was the same kind of ending as Apocalypse Now, same, same kind of thing, right? So so Brando gets killed and Willard gets gets um uh uh lance and they go back on the boat and and that's it they blow up the village and like that's it but like what did this all what what did all of the suffering what was it all supposed to mean that's the big question that you just sit there thinking this movie definitely got less than it deserved it deserved much much better than the obscurity that it's sitting in yeah and so if you're interested in watching it um it's it's free on amazon you can watch it on prime so we want to thank again thank nick for turning us on to this movie we really enjoyed it we hope you enjoyed our conversation about it and if you have more recommendations let us know at 15min film on twitter or email us at 15 minute film spelled out at gmail.com keep the recommendations coming we're going to keep doing them thanks everybody we'll see you next time 